Guess what? It's recording. Hey, Michi. And in this moment, I swear, we are infinite. Let's do this! Come on! Mounting! It's too damn hot for a penguin to be just walking around. I'm going to have to agree with Lockie and Tyler here. That intro is excessive. Anyway, welcome back to the Virtus Podcast. Uh, we are very, very privileged to have a wonderful guest and a wonderful client of ours and a wonderful friend of ours in Ali Miles. And Ali and I know each other from Saints in the Hallways, kind of. She forgot me on the first time, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> but more on like a surface level and similar to our clients. They'll see you train, but they don't really know what you do and how good you are at what you do. So we're going to dive into that today. So oh, welcome, Ali. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning. You well? A good morning it is. Besides, yeah, I am. besides the calf, but we'll, we'll get into that later. <laughs> the too. baby calf? The, the baby, baby calf. cow, we I blo- should say. We blew a calf. We blew a calf. Anyway, sell yourself, Al. Who are you? What do you do? Oh, look, what's, a, what's a need to know about Ali Miles? Oh, I am a performance dietitian um, and I'm also a mum of three awesome kids. Uh, so that kind of keeps my plate full on a week-to-week basis. And a wife of a wonderful husband. Don't yeah, true. Jono. Yeah, yeah, no. We'll throw Jono in there as well. He, he might, probably not. He might listen to this, <laughs> but he maybe not. He'll enjoy the shout out. So what is a performance dietitian? Or what's the difference of a performance dietitian to maybe a dietitian that works in... GP or general practice. Yeah, okay. So I guess I've got both qualifications. So I'm an accredited practicing dietitian as well as an accredited sports dietitian. And I'm actually also an advanced sports dietitian. So walking through in terms of being a dietitian, I can practice in clinical um, situations. So when when clients might have disease states, um, I can give them clinical recommendations in relation to nutrition and diet therapy. An extension on that is that I've done further qualifications in sports nutrition because that's where my interest and passion developed over the years. Um, I've been doing, I've been a dietitian for over 20 years. So I think I was thinking today, I graduated in 2000 with my Master's of Nutrition and Dietetics. So I was, I was three. Yeah, <laughs> rub it in. Um, I had to. So, yeah, I, I quickly realised that I love the sports side of things. I've always been an active kid. Um, I'm fortunate to grow up in an active household. So, um, loved working with physios in, in practices and then started working with sports teams um, and really honed that interest. Um, did the IOC, so International Olympic Committee, um, diploma in sports nutrition. Uh, so, that really honed the skills there. Um, that was nigh on 15 years ago. And since then, again, just um, worked with various sports teams, lots of different sporting codes. Um, uh, New South Wales Institute of Sport, Victorian Institute of Sport, in, in rugby, rugby league, um, worked in AFL for a significant period of time um, and also with our Winter Olympic team now for the past six years. Excellent. We're going to get into that extensive work here, Siri, because you put up a post maybe a fortnight ago. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. On your career and where you've gone and where you are now, but so we're gonna get into that in a minute because I've got a I've got a slight picture of what that still remembers like, but that was way too much for me to remember. <laughs> so we're gonna go through it again. But before we go down, Ali, now what about Ali in the beginning? As a kid, sporty, academic, like what were your interests? Were you someone who wanted to be an athlete and then worked out, hey, baby, not for me. Let's find some way to still work in sport, or kind of what was the pathway that you? to get into dietetics? Yeah, so I always loved sport. I was um, really shy, very much an introvert as a kid, and I chose individual sports. So I was a swimmer and I did cross-country running and loved it. Um, I was also a RAF brat, so my dad was a pilot in the Air Force, and we moved around all the time. a RAF brat? Yeah, so Royal Australian Air Force, Uh so RAF. That makes sense. Brat. There you go. Typically because you move schools and houses so often, you're the troublemaker in the class. You you would not be the troublemaker. (laughs) I don't want to hear that. Um, So we moved around, um, I guess to give you a bit of snapshot, I was born in Brisbane, moved to America, back to Brisbane, to Canberra, to America, Brisbane, and then I chose to go to boarding school to finish off my high school because dad got another posting, Um, so mum and dad were on the move again. Um, Now during that time, I swam competitively um, and also did cross-country running, and I remember being, I would say in grade one, this is when we were living in Canberra, in the middle of winter... (laughs) 
running around Lake Burley Griffin in short shorts. In those days, they called them scungies. Awesome name, you, but basically... Short shorts? We're talking booty short shorts, shorts, kind of? Yeah, okay. Um, and T-shirts. <laughs> never heard of that either. In, in zero degree temperatures, running yeah, around Lake Belly Griffin. And I remember doing one and 2K events, and then I think we moved to America at that time. So, Where in America did you move? So when I was really young, Idaho. Yep. So Boise, yeah, Idaho, yeah, yep. potato country. Yeah, yeah, potato country. So there's yeah. an F-111 <laughs> Air Force base up that way. And then um, Montgomery, Alabama. Alabama. Mm. Where all the country people come from. <laughs> It actually yeah. wasn't that bad of a country accent. Yeah. For people who haven't ventured to Virtus in the last kind of two years, country music has kind of taken over the playlist when I've been here. So if you, if you come in, country music might be something you get to hear. Um, talk to me about kind of like that boarding school experience. So did you pick it or was it something your parents thought, hey, this is probably a good idea for you to finish your schooling life in and then work out what you want to do or what was that? No, kind of so I chose to do that. Um I was very studious um, and I didn't want to be interrupted for my final two years of school. Um, Plus, I guess it's the friendship networks that you make. Um, So I made that decision. Um, That was quite tricky because I was quite shy and introverted, but it was okay. Um, That's when my passion for nutrition, when I look back on it, started. And actually, when I finished my science degree um, at Queensland Uni, I needed to write an application to get into the master's program at Sydney Uni. And in that... um, application I wrote about my experience in boarding school and so the food wasn't great Um, there were quite a few girls that had disordered eating tendencies not that I knew that at the time I didn't identify that as a fixed 15 16 17 year old kid Um, but now um, yeah when I got that little bit older I could I could see that 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 was an issue what are we talking about boarding food school? I'm a very visual person. What am, what am yeah, I saying? Yeah, so the one that is like burned into my retinas is a tray of sausages that we had a split right down the middle with cheese oozing out, sitting in a tray of oil, Ugh. like a yeah, few centimetres thick. I'm not going to get that out of my head now, so thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll join in your memories. Um, through year 12, was being an athlete still a possibility? Was that something you wanted to do or...? Um, no, look, I'm going to be honest and say probably just being too shy was my biggest detriment yeah. that I, I lacked a lot of self-belief and confidence that I was capable of doing a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe just not being at home, I didn't have kind of that, you know, mentor mum and dad around yeah, me at that yeah. time on, on an everyday basis to kind of yeah. keep propping me up. So, look, I always remained active, but I was never really super competitive when I was older. I've always participated and I've always um, been involved in sport and always remained active, but never... Highly competitive. Yep, yep, kind yep. of wish now. I feel like maybe. <laughs> Hindsight's 2020. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think a lot of us who work in sport probably have that too. <laughs> going, yeah. what could have been? I know I have that. So, yeah. I know Lockie still has that and he's still trying. So, <laughs> no, we won't have that against him. Uh, 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 masters. <laughs> maybe masters. <laughs> yeah, it's still a possibility. Athlete. Anything's possible. That's uh, Alison Felix. What's she, four gold medals in a row now? Yeah. After having having a child, I'm yeah, sure I yeah. butchered that and got it wrong. But either way, it's still something very impressive. Yeah. Even some of the like professionalized in Australia now having babies coming back. Yep. Um, Jess Cameron who's in the AFL. She's had a child. She's back playing at Hawthorne now. Pretty yep. impressive stuff. So. Yep. No, still, absolutely. you might play in the AFL. Hell. <laughs> mm, my calf might tell us <laughs> yeah. otherwise. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, uni life. How was uni life? Being an introvert. So uni is obviously somewhere where. You kind of get to fly away from home, but you've already had that experience at kind of boarding school. Was uni life something you kind of tapped into from like a social aspect as well? Or was still very academic and you wanted, um, you had like an end goal of, I want to be a dietitian? No, I didn't know at that stage. Um, so I didn't know I wanted to be a dietitian then. I did a general science degree, majored in biochem and physiol, loved learning about the human body and how that operated. Um, so I lived on campus. Um, at UQ, UQ Queens, yeah. Queensland Uni. Um, so, look, that was a great experience. Again, food was not a great experience. Yeah. Um, and I lived on campus for two years and then moved out for that final year. Again, primarily food-related. Yeah. Must have been something in I'm the area. I think i a little general path here we're going on. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, that was good. It was good. And and I look, that's probably when I started to, to grow up a bit. But it wasn't really, I think, until... After I finished my science degree, um, got into Sydney Uni to do my master's yeah. and I moved to Sydney and I knew no one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knew no one. And I remember standing at enrolments and there's the big cork board with the notices and the little tabs of paper yeah, off yeah, them. Yep, yep, yep. Housemate wanted. Yep. I literally ripped one of those off yep. and there was another girl standing beside me. And at the time, um, 
must have been her boyfriend was wearing like rugby shorts, something that I went, oh, that's something I can connect with yeah. being a Queenslander and yeah, rugby. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you're all right if I'm picking something off a board and you're standing here. She was doing the same thing. So I actually ended up being housemates. Oh, there you go. For a few years. There you go. All from Maybe I need to do meeting that. in a pin board. <laughs> Maybe I need to go. I, mean, I obviously work at Deakin now, so Maybe I need to go put one up. I need a housemate because <laughs> I need one of those too. So um, with... Going into uni, so you obviously did general science. What did you go into that thinking you wanted to do? Or what was kind of the thought process to pick general science, just being interested in the human body yeah. and academic Yeah, so grade 11 and 12, I did biochem with my main sciences. Really always have been fascinated by the human body and I'm still fascinated. Yeah. Um, love learning how it worked. And I remember sitting in third year medical biochemistry and medical physiology and just being you know, like jaw dropped open front row kind of nerd, just completely engrossed in the content. Um, yeah, so Mitch, I'm probably gone, of course. Can't quite remember what the initial question was. This is the best part about a podcast, though. It doesn't matter. We can do whatever the hell we want. <laughs> you for me. Science. Yep. Into science and then thought, with obviously the background being, hey, I want to improve the food that I live and live around and the experiences that people have with food, or was it something like, hmm, my double in, I don't know, the science aspect of sport or... Do I want to look after athletes or like was it purely on human body and what happens with the human body? Human body, body that I, primarily that science back, aspect yeah. and what can yep. I go into that involves that. Yep. Um, and like at the time there was one other course in Queensland that looked at nutrition and dietetics but you needed to have attended QT to yep. be able to have a, any chance of getting into that program. It was highly competitive at that stage. Um, so put my application in, as I said, I used – my background in boarding school started obviously after three years doing a science degree, kind of had a bit of an understanding of what I'd been observing when I was younger, popped that in um, yeah. and said that I'd really like to be involved in change around um, the way younger people are eating and what they were provided. Um, and yeah, I guess the rest is history, moved, packed up my bags and moved to Sydney. <laughs> it's a good good segue into what we're going to talk to you about. <laughs> After we talk about what you've done for work, because we can talk about your business and what that venture looks like and the change you're causing, one from an athlete point of view in professional sport, but also from just a everyday gen pop, how can we better serve kind of the people around us or our kids or anything like that. We're going to get into that. But after your study, so after you finished your master's dietetics, what, what, what happened? What, what did you do? Yeah, so I took a job in the clinical setting in a hospital in Sydney. Um, and worked there for a couple of years, but immediately recognised that wasn't my cup of tea. Um, I think nutrition requires behaviour change. And if we think of the stages of change theory, people need to be on board and wanting to make that change. And when often when they're sick in hospital, they've just had a heart attack or yep. like they're unwell, the last thing they're thinking about is the dietitian standing beside the bed trying to force nutrition information and yep. behaviour change down their throat. Um Combined with the fact that I'd always been interested in sports, kind of probably at that stage felt a little bit lost and didn't really know what angle to take. I was quite young. So when I started uni, my undergraduate degree, I was 17, so coming from Brizzy. Um, And I graduated, I would have been 21 when I graduated. So still quite young in a sense of just trying to figure out exactly what angle I wanted to take. Um, I knew I didn't have a lot of business acumen. So actually, I don't think you know this, I joined a pharmaceutical company. No, I didn't know that. Mm. So I worked in hospitals for a couple of years, joined a pharmaceutical company to try and get some business acumen under yep. my belt and then ventured into part-time working for that pharma company as well as part-time starting up my own pra- private practice as a um, dietitian. Yep. Um, I'd already during that time, so it was pretty much within the first one or two years of graduating as a dietitian, I then also did an AIS, AIS Institute of Sport, yep. Sports Dietetics um, course. Yep, that, yep, yep. You know, I'm trying to think back. <laughs> talking, what, 18, 19 years now. Um, I think you're doing pretty good just quietly. So, obviously, I, I had that inkling that immediately I wanted to do that, but worked in the hospitals, needed some business sense about me, did that, then propped things up by doing part-time, part-time, and developed that, then my private practice. And yep. at that stage, I was doing lots of different contracts um, at lots of different places, yep. as well as different sporting teams and yep. so forth. How would you get into sport? What was kind of the first break the wall down, kind of, I'm in sport now? Um, t- to be honest, it's about, um, and it still rings true today, it's about volunteering your time and the connections you make and being just a good human and a good person and then yep. good at what you do, that then gives you the chance and people will genuinely give you a chance. Yep. Um, How'd you get your first chance? 
Yeah, so the biggest chances came from my late mentor, Dr. Helen O'Connor. So um, Helen was a pioneer of um, our profession in sports dietetics. So she started SDA, which is Sports Dietitians Australia. Unfortunately, um, she passed away two years ago now. Um, she was a fabulous mentor and she was also a mum. Um, and, um, you know, she gave me, she, sorry, she gave me some great chances in Sydney and some opportunities and was also just a great sounding board for being able to bounce ideas around. Um, and one of the great things I did, I worked alongside Helen um, in a, in a practice um, kind of in the same building as the New South Wales Institute of Sport there. Um, but also when she did a sabbatical, I took over her lecturing responsibilities for a year at Sydney Uni in exercise sports science. And that was awesome. I told you there's lots of things I don't know about you. There you go. <laughs> and that's when I realised that I really loved teaching aspect. Yeah. Um, and even though I'm not an academic um, and I'm not great with the research side in terms of I couldn't run a study to save yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel one of my strengths is translating that tricky information yeah, and disseminating yeah. it and keeping it easy for students to understand yeah. and then peppering your lectures with lots and lots of real life Yeah, I think you and examples. I fit in that both together. <laughs> I'm very similar. I really like academia, but I could never do that. Yeah. I need something a little bit more stimulating, but also coming from a, obviously done well, five years of study or four years of study, knowing that what the content is and what it could be, maybe I can be that kind of bridging gap between, yeah, this is really, really good, dense information, but how do I make that a little bit easier to understand? Yeah. So I think we both fall in that kind of category. I think that's really important with nutrition information yeah. because yeah. it can be crazy complex and you can hear lots and lots of different ideas oh, yeah. around the same thing yeah. and just being a filter, yeah. super important. Yeah. Using mentors, obviously you had wonderful mentor. How did you best use your mentor? Because we hear a lot nowadays of, you know, you all need a mentor, everyone needs a mentor, a few mentors, but how did you utilise your mentor? What were the things you were bringing to her that she was then helping you with? Yeah, I, I, one of the, the, the things that sticks in my mind um, that Helen taught me is that there will always be work for good people. Yeah. Um, and that was particularly important at the time that she spoke those words to me because that was when I'd had my first child. Um, at the time, her youngest child was about five and so then I had a newborn. And you're thinking as a working mum, how do I actually do this caper? How do, like I still want to progress my career but I also want to be a great mum. Like, How do you do it? How do I take time out? And she was the one that said, don't take on board too much but also know that there's always going to be work for good people. Um, and I've held that yeah. all the time because I've travelled then like, since I was working in Sydney moved to Brisbane and then moved to Melbourne and I've always just kept that in my mind that there's always going to be work for good people so it doesn't matter if I'm moving state to state I just just keep that in the back of my mind yeah yeah was it what what defines a good person in your eyes what defines a good person gee that's like <laughs> the meaning of I life feel, I feel like Lockie and I feel real dirty right now <laughs> um what are some qualities you like to see in people that genuine. you'd like to spend more time around? Genuine. Yep. It's probably the word that sums that up. Um, you know, compassion, yep. kindness, um, but also a strength of character. Yep. So I think just genuine. Um, yeah, that yep. probably sums it up. Cool. Okay. With, with being a mum and still wanting to progress your career, I guess that's something that obviously females have to deal with and males don't necessarily have to cop the full brunt of that of – being pregnant for nine months and then having to raise a kid for, um, I mean, up until they pretty much go to primary school. And Lockie had a stat a couple of weeks ago on the podcast around, it was like 70, 80% of the time you spend with your kid is before they hit primary school. And that kind of like comes back to like, shit, like that's a, that's a pretty big fact. So for you, like how did you, if you did, balance being a mum but being a practicing dietitian who still wanted to be really, really good at their job? Like what's that, what did that look like for you? Yeah, really tricky. Um, I had amazing support of John, my husband, yep. um, so couldn't have done it without him. And we really were a tag team, ships passing the night on many circumstances, yep. trying to keep things afloat. It's probably also when we realised that it wasn't maintainable in the long term, the extent that we were. So like April, my eldest at that time when we were in Sydney, she was in childcare um, a few days a week. Um, yeah, John was working full time. I was essentially working full time, cobbled together by all the different contracts that yep. I had. Yeah. And that's probably one of the things in that sense is just all those different workplaces, it does take that toll in terms of just 
multiple workplaces to have in your mind and yeah. staff that you're interacting with. And when you're trying to be a good person, yeah. you like to know everything about <laughs> yeah, everyone. Exactly, and, yeah, I um, feel you. <laughs> so, look, it was absolutely a juggle. Um, and I think, you know, you're in the trenches during those periods or those years of your life in many senses. And, and you're like, you'll hear me now and it's like the, the troubles of the teenage years. It kind of does change <laughs> oh, and develop. And Angel, what are you talking about? She's <laughs> <laughs> not going to listen to it, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, couldn't have done it with, without Jono. I think we're yeah. both on the same page. Of we, we had the end ultimate goal. And, and in the end, um, it was a quality of life decision that we, we chose to actually move back to Brisbane. Yeah. Um, we didn't have family in Sydney. Um, yeah. John's yeah. parents live not in Brisbane where we moved to, but on the Sunshine Coast. So we've kind of always been used to not having a family around. But then I grew up that way as well, being yeah, yeah, yeah. a rough brat. Um, we never had family around. So I was yeah. you know, always used to just driving in school holidays to see my grandparents. Yeah. What was some kind of strategy you employed to make quality of life a bit easier with still trying to have a full-time job and different contracts and, and a young one and a husband? What are some kind of strategies that you employed to make that a little bit easier or take the load off? If I were to be honest, during those years, it, there weren't any strategies. Yep. It was literally just um, the proverbial show. It's just trying to not sink or swim. And it's only yeah, yeah, yeah. through going through that you then develop yeah, some 100%. strategies and, and, and coping mechanisms. In the latter years, or more when we moved to, to Melbourne, so we've been here nine years, um, and when I started working you know, and, and picking up contracts down here, we looked at an au pair. Yep. So again, we had no family around, so we looked at a live-in nanny to help yep. support us, but we were always of the mindset that we wanted to try and be there as often as we can when the kids woke up, and we would always be there to put the kids to bed at night. It was more just that, making sure they didn't miss out on the after-school activities. Yeah. Yeah. How's that going for you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Multi sport. We're we're nearly there. We're nearly there. <laughs> um, on contracts, what was kind of like your maybe we call it a breakthrough, or what was like kind of your first big one? And you thought, hey, this is this is pretty cool. Um. So probably in Sydney when I was working um as a dietitian with New South Wales Institute of Sport and concurrently with West Tigers Rugby League and then Waratahs Rugby Union, yep. um, as well as running. Um, through multiple practices and then towards the end took on um, Helen's lecturing responsibilities. Um, yeah. that, that's probably like, – all of those are, are key cornerstones in yeah. my mind that can start to build your resume out, yeah. give you street cred within the industry. Um, that then means that you can take that on your resume to yeah. you know, the next situation that you're I in. I think you and I get along for a very good reason here, Al. <laughs> 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 so – what was your kind of first, your big one, where you you took, I know that you don't currently just have one role, but what was kind of the first one where you thought, hey, I could do this as just the one thing that I do? Or has that happened? It hasn't happened, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it tends to not happen in yeah. dietetics at large. You're very lucky to land a full-time role, and particularly yeah. in sports dietetics, it's very, very rare that a sporting organisation has full-time yeah. dietitians, yeah. which is an unfortunate situation. And is it, it changing? Not fast enough. Yeah. Starting to see some subtle signs that mm-hmm. m- more organisations are recognising the important role that nutrition plays, but we've still got such a long way to go. Yep. And even when you look at in, in different departments, there's always multiple SNCs. There's multiple doctors. There's multiple physios. Yep. Multiple of everything, but there's one London. dietitian that is typically part-time. part-time yep. what, um, what do you think could expedite that process? Uh, we need to be more vocal and um, more definitive in outlining our key you know, opportunities yeah, to yeah, yeah. progress and improve performance outcomes, um, to be honest. What's the hardest part about getting that over the line? History. Yep. Just the historical standpoint where nutrition's kind of been, oh, you know, doesn't matter. It's yep. never been considered as something important. I think the other thing is as well is because everyone eats, everyone has an opinion and it's like, oh, it's just eating, like... How tricky can that be? Yeah. It can be really tricky. Yeah. Um, and I think the big impact, like if we if we take a step back, with athletes typically we'd be looking at eating minimum four times a day, but easily six or more times a day. Yeah. Seven days a week, so six, seven's 42, 42 time points that you have the opportunity to influence performance, adaptation, recovery, mm-hmm. and so on. So I view it as a really, really big opportunity for sporting organisations to embrace that nutrition yep. component and invest heavily in the sports dietetics component. And yep. you can see some cracking and awesome outcomes. Yeah, um, absolutely. In terms of 
health well-being and ultimately performance, which is what clubs and organisations are ultimately yep. looking for. I potentially put the health and the well-being before. Yeah. And when, when you take a step back and think about it, in your 42 time points, right, it's probably the most involved for an athlete's week. Mm-hmm. They're not doing 42 sessions a week. Even if there are five-minute sessions, they're still not doing 42 of them. So um, it's one of those things that probably has more effect, as you said, than what some people realise until they're open and honest enough to actually learn and want to know more about that. Is that kind yeah, of Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. yeah, I can, in terms of, I often relate athletes and, and anyone who's ever been in any one of my talks, the simplest analogy I can make is that an athlete is a Formula One car. Yep. Lots of skill, talent, ability. If yep. you forget to put petrol in, in an F1... It's not going anywhere. My car in the car park is going to yeah. beat it. So you can have all the skill and talent ability in the world, but if you don't get the right petrol in at the right time in the right quantity, you're not going to perform at your best. Yeah, we, we talk about that in an SSC world, very similar. And I use a Hyundai i20 to compare <laughs> Ferrari. So <laughs> those that have an i20 in the room, they get a little offended, but they get what I mean. It's, you know, you can have a high-performing yeah. car for an mechanism or a mechanism or whatever you want to call it. If you go and put something that's shitty on top of that, you're yep. probably going to drive with a handbrake on or you're going to drive shitty brakes and you're probably going to break down eventually. So I think that's probably a, an easy way to think about like fueling for performance, yep. I guess, is that, you know, it doesn't matter what, what vessel you have. If you don't fuel the vessel, it's not going to matter. Yep. You're going to, you're missing out. You're leaving things on the table, I guess. Um, in AFL, instantly, we talk about rally cars. You know, of course we do. Beating up every weekend <laughs> yeah. and front up again and yep. again and again. Yep, 100%, 100%. Um, with you going into an organisation... What's kind of your, I guess, methodology or philosophy on like where do you start? You're going into an organisation, they go, hey, Al, you're our dietitian now, great, fantastic. What's what's the process or what do you start? Yeah, so be a really good listener to begin with. And yep. I think I always employ the mentality of seek first to understand, yep. then be understood. Yep. Um, some wise words. Actually, my husband was the one that taught me that. Oh, Jono. I know. Jono with the lines. <laughs> I know. So very much don't go in there with your own agenda. Very much seek out the history and why is it that they do it that way? Why Why is it that they're not fueling or they're not doing this or why is it that they approach things and get that understanding of why they're not? That means you can come in and be solutions focused and support them in the best way possible. What is... Um Let's say you've had, you've gone into an environment, you see, let's maybe, red flags we'll call them, they may not be red flags, but some areas for improvement. What are some like, maybe three, five, I don't know, we throw an arbitrary number out. What are some strategies that you find work generally quite well? And this, because I guess when we're talking about athletes and high performance, the principles and the foundations are the same when we're talking about just feeling for everyday life. You don't, you don't have to be an athlete to still follow the kind of the concepts that we're trying to talk about. What is kind of the things you go into an environment and go, hey, this this is something that could improve? Or what are some general things that you see that in a lot of different environments, you kind of have the same issue? So without a doubt, the number one issue that I see across the board, pretty much any sporting environment I go to is issues around confidence with fueling. And the flip of that is under fueling. Yep. Um, and the impact on health, well-being and performance is profound. Um, and is by far the number one biggest rock. Like if we're talking about big rocks in nutrition and performance nutrition, optimal fueling and addressing under issues of under fueling yep. fuels you know, 90% of the jar. Yeah, under fueling, I think, and I have a very, very skewed reality of dietetics and nutrition, but <laughs> underfeeling and working with athletes, underfeeling is probably what I see as kind of the biggest issue is there's other things that we take into account when we talk about food and that whether that's body comp or the way we look or the way we feel. Yeah. Underfeeling makes up a huge portion, especially for athletes. Yeah, and it falls in and, and it feeds into all of those issues that you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. How, how do we go about assessing underfeeling or what, what are kind of the things you do to look at that? Um. Again, be a good listener, yep. good investigator and, and ask questions and develop rapport and relationships so yep. that athletes know that you're there to support them, to help. Um, and I think it's really good to explain the why. There's no point going in like a bull in a china shop and just saying, well, you need to do this, this, this and this. Yep. You need to actually, again, seek first to understand why is it that they've been doing things the way that they have been and then help explain the why. Um, now, like it's, it's different for every athlete like in terms of the hook or the lure that you might use to help them understand and to change their patterns of thinking. And underfueling is one of those things. If it's born out of, whether it's deliberate or by accident, um, if it's deliberate, it can be really tricky to change an athlete's mindset, particularly with societal pressure and thoughts around fear of carbohydrates and yeah. 
and fueling options. But really it's trying to find that hook in the lure that's important and significant for that particular athlete that will be that light bulb change. That means that, oh, craps, okay. So, you know, if I just think of some recent history, it's, you know, athlete might present with a, a history of bone stress injury yep. or niggling soft tissue injuries that has meant that they haven't been able to play for a significant portion of the previous season. And so then you can adequately explain to them, well, I reckon that this could be one of the reasons why and explain what happens when you underfuel and then why that can lead to some soft tissue injuries. Yep. And then they start to see that they're not visiting the physio as frequently. Um, it's like with a lot of stuff when we're talking about performance, it's hindsight's twenty twenty. You don't realise these things that you put into effect until someone tells you to go and think about what the change is. We find that a lot with with athletes, especially here at Virtus, is like when we, we do some screening and a movement screen when they their first start and they might have they wake up with low back pain or their right shoulder's a bit sore and after kind of a few weeks and you know, we we like to think we can make change pretty quickly, especially when we know what to put, go and poke. We go, Oh, how's your back feeling? He goes, I don't really know. Haven't thought about it. Yeah, is it nice. kind of like the same? Yeah. 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 What is what are some let's say on underfueling, what are some common things you like to employ? So if that's a common issue of you see a bunch of athletes underforming, is there kind of like an overriding, this is a common issue that you have a strategy that you go and use? So if, yeah. for example, like let's talk about like hip mobility. Like I've got a few drawers that I really like for hip mobility that work for a lot of different people. I have some that work for some others because it doesn't work for yeah. everyone, but what are some kind of like those bigger ones, that, those overarching ones? Major um, learning point would be to have this concept of mirroring your intake or matching your intake to your training load. So pretty yep. much the more you move, the, bo- the more you move your body, the more you're fueling your body. Yep. Um, and I try not to do so much the reverse of you know, the less you move your body. I think w- having an understanding that your body needs a certain amount of energy just to function to keep you alive as a human being. Like yep. Your brain needs to think, your heart needs to beat, your lungs need to breathe. While you're asleep, your body is needing energy when you're absolutely doing nothing. Yep. Okay. So then what we do is we layer on top of that our training demands and we add extra fuel on top. So rather than always thinking restrict, it's actually start at a baseline balance level and add extra in addition to your training load. Yep. So when you move your body more, you eat more. Yep. It's probably like, and you can, if you can keep things simple, like we don't have to make it super, super complex. And so what I will do is I will look at an athlete's overall. If we think of it in terms of training cycles, in terms of, you know, if we take something like AFL, pre-season to season to off-season, yep. we can generically see that you know, pre-season is going to incorporate the biggest training demands, yep. biggest sessions, biggest energy expenditure reflected to season where not as much overall on a weekly basis but distinct days where there are significantly greater intakes required and then off-season where they're training much less. Um, and then it's also thinking of putting a mirror up to a training schedule and you kind of think if I'm mirroring my intake to my training – it's days of the week, but then it's also times within a day. Yep. So like if, a, if an athlete has double days at training sessions on various days of the week, then those days should be the days that they have the biggest intake. But then if we actually looked within those particular days, if they're training morning and early afternoon, then we need to be really pushing extra carbohydrate to fuel those sessions in and around. So before, yep. during and after each of those training sessions um, yep. to fuel their goals. With with sport, just in general, and maybe we'll use, I don't know, AFL as an example, what do you, what are some kind of measures that you use with athletes? What are some like daily or weekly, and we call them check-ins, or what are you kind of looking for across a week? Yeah, do you know what? It's it's good old corridor conversations, to be honest. Like, don't underestimate the power of just stopping and having a chat and the information that you can just glean out of simple conversations rather than feeling as if it needs to be clinic style at a desk. I think there's a lot to be gained just from those corridor conversations. Um, Yeah, even when they're, say, getting treated on the physio table again, you can just kind of call past it. It's different times where you can just strike up a conversation. Um, I'm just thinking over meal times. So... Like when meal service is on, like when players are having lunch or when they're making smoothies at the recovery station, they're also really great opportunities where you can have an interaction. And then obviously you can have some scheduled appointments if you need to specifically um, address something at a specific time. Um, and then obviously group group style presentations yep. um, can be really powerful. Um, great WhatsApp kind of communicate 
communication op- yep. opportunities, the ability for athletes to take photos of their food and there are great like food journals now where you don't have to kind of keep the old-fashioned yeah. three- or seven-day food diary. It's yep. all just take a photo, that'll take a photo. Yeah. and then I can communicate at my end and go, like, awesome, great to yep. see that you've got a great amount of protein on the plate, plenty of colour coming through. Love the fact that you've got plenty of fueling carbohydrates there yep. and I can see some healthy fat. Awesome. Keep it up. On that, what are your foundational principles for nutrition? Because you've just spoken about a few there and, you know, searching through your Instagram over the last couple of days, you have your little, your yep. nice little visually pleasing posts that have certain categories. What are those categories Again, you look for? Yeah, so keeping it simple, I think if you can approach a meal and think about four key concepts, and that would just be that you've got your fueling carbohydrates, that you're building with your protein options, that you're colouring your plate with plenty of fruit and veggies, and that you've got your nice, unprotecting, um, healthy fats to protect your body. Yep. You can't go too far wrong. What are your favourite options for all of them? Oh, favourite yeah, options. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in terms of fueling carbohydrates, you're looking for your whole grain types of carbohydrates to begin with. So things like bread and pasta and rice. Um, and then um, you know, wraps and different grains, rolled oats, absolutely fantastic, yep. different whole grain breakfast cereals. Then you've got your starchy vegetables, so things like potato, sweet potato, corn. Mm-hmm. Um and then um, dairy. So while dairy is awesome in terms of its protein content, it's also a great source of nutritious carbohydrate. So milk and yogurt. And then we've got our fruit. So you know whether it's fresh, dried, or canned, absolutely fantastic. Um, the main thing there is again just, well, with all of our food categories, eat a range. So eat a nice range of different whole grain and, and very different types of carbohydrates. Um, I think one of the big things with everyone's fear, and maybe I'm going down. Hey, welcome to podcasting. You can go down any path you want. (laughs) Um, While I'm talking about carbohydrates, with the fear that everyone seems to have, and I'm hoping that we're starting to change and gradually kind of turn the big barge around here. It hasn't been a a quick process, but like plenty of those carbohydrate foods are awesome fertilizer for what we call our gut garden, so our gut microbiome Mm -hmm. or biota. And one of the reasons we think that quite a few people have had gut issues in more recent years is because everyone's been really scared of carbohydrate, eliminating it, which is a major source of fertiliser yep. for our gut garden. Yep. Um, so, you know, I'm stealing that, by the way. <laughs> fertiliser for gut garden. That's yeah. Bank. Yeah, so if you think of your gut health in terms of a beautiful garden, if you would imagine a beautiful garden, it would have a wide range of diverse different trees, plants, flowers, and lots of different colours, and very few weeds. Okay, And so what we eat can dramatically influence what grows in our gut garden. And if we're not fueling it and fertilising it effectively, what we'll find is that we don't get a diverse range of different plants. We just get a few different bacteria growing and a lot of those are going to be weeds, not the good stuff. Um, and that's when we start to have issues with our gut. And then we also know that our, our gut microbiome produce all these fantastic compounds that not only nourish the lining of our gut, but then also flow into our bloodstream um, and can affect all parts of our body in a really awesome way yep. in terms of chronic disease as well as mental health and, and, and the list goes on. Yep. And you could do a whole nother podcast on gut health. <laughs> <You> might have to. <laughs> it's a big open can of worms that one yeah but you know our our can talk about that he'll love that our carbohydrate based (laughs) plant foods are fantastic fertilizer for our gut garden that selectively um improve the growth and proliferation of our good gut bacteria over our bad bacteria and so really important that we do incorporate that wide range of different carbs um yeah cool so up to fuel What's next? So build with our protein. Yep. So think to begin with animal-based foods. So meat, fish, chicken, yep. eggs. Um, and then you can go into your dairy again. So milk, yogurt, cheese, yep. kefir and so forth. Then we've got our awesome plant-based proteins as well. So um, tofu, tempeh, lentils, legumes, nuts, seeds, yep. beans. And again, we want that nice wide range, lots of different nutrients in there. Um that give our body other things. So you think of red meat's got iron and, and, and so forth, and dairy's got calcium in yep. there. So really, really important. And I really think of our building foods, and the reason I, 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 I always kind of say fuel with carbohydrates, build with protein, colour with fruit and veggies, and protect with healthy fat because it helps you. You should get you a tattoo of that. <laughs> <laughs> it helps you to um, associate what they're doing yeah, for my so body. And, yep. and this really came about talking to my kids and helping them to understand it's not just eat, eat this it's like why would you like yep. what what's it doing for my body that and was my so, next question where did that come from where's the yeah um and so for example when audrey so audrey's my youngest at nine when she trots down in the morning um 
she likes something different for brekkie every morning. Like I've got no yeah. idea what she's going to throw at me. Whereas yeah. Henry is the bowl of muesli with wheat bix. Yeah, I'm Henry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and blueberries every single morning. Audrey, it's like what I'm in for today. Yeah. And so she'll come down and she'll say, "Oh, can I have um, Vegemite on toast?" And so then we'll go through us and, and she, actually she likes avocado on toast. So she's kind of got like, you know, and I'll say, "Okay, well you're fueling with with your toast." Yep. And you're protecting with your avocado. What else do we need? And yeah, like I'll say we need to build, um, yeah, like we build our body, yeah. build our bones and our muscles and our body. So, like, would you like some milk or yogurt? So that she'll then choose. And it's like, yeah. okay, we need to color the rainbow. What would you like there? Yeah. And she'll, just, I'll say, we've got a pear, an apple, or a peach. Like, and she'll choose something. Yeah, like. and I, I feel like it's a fantastic way to simplify what we're actually eating. It's, it's easier to imagine that rather than think about how much do I need of this or how much do I need of that. Oh, I need 10 grams of this. Like it's, as you said at the start, like nutrition can be something that's highly complex, but because there's so much information involved in it, we can make it quite simple. And we talk about this actually teaching at uni this week, the difference of, well, in my case, a good coach versus a great coach and probably very similar to you of a good dietitian, a great dietitian is that ability to bridge the gap between, as we said at the start, that highly complex, well-rounded information into something that's really easy to understand and simpler, so simple that, Kids can understand it, and I think that's kind of probably our biggest RFI is how do we take the information that we learn and we know as adults, and how can we teach that to kids? And we're going to go down fuel school and what that looks like in yeah. a minute. Um, but I think that's something that you in particular do like fantastically well. That I, as someone who has a very very small understanding of nutrition compared to what um, other people have, like your posts around fueling and building and all that, and goes. Yeah, this makes sense. This yeah, is even taking hear. adapting that to, you know, the suggestions that I'm giving my clients, but also the stuff that I'm eating and stuff like that as well. It's one, it's very visually pleasing to look at, but two, it's very, very simple in the way that it's just good information done really, really well. So I think that's something that you do Thanks, really, mate. really well. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you take the cover, but normally you brush them off to the <laughs> side. <so. laughs> mm, you know me too well. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, what else? What else are we? Oh uh, well, at? we're coloring the rainbow. Yeah, we are. So. As simple as that, and again, it's you need to paint. Well, ideally, it's painting that rainbow across a day yep. and across a week with a wide range of different fruit and veggies to paint that rainbow. Yep. It represents all the different phytochemicals, awesome nutrients that each of our different fruit and veggies possess um, in the different colourings that, that just do amazing things for our health and well-being, immune function, gut health, and so on. Um and then protecting with our healthy fats, so anti-inflammatory, both short-term and long-term. So if we think of um, athletes, you know, recovery from really hard, intense training sessions, you know, if I think of, you know, AFL players, they are slamming their bodies against each other um, on Saturdays and Sundays on weekends, and then their body has, a, you know, five to six days to turn around, repair and heal. Yeah. And they've literally been shredding and tearing their cells yeah. of their body <laughs> apart. So lots of healing goes into play there. Um, really important um, also in terms of a long-term or a chronic perspective in terms of chronic health as well. So um, heart disease, diabetes, you know, and anti-inflammatory conditions in that sense. Um, really important in terms of brain function and cognition as well. Yep. So high concentrations of the omega-3 DHA in our brain. So, um, yeah, so incorporating cool. the healthy fats there. And then in terms of, of simplifying that from a family perspective and talking about the kids, I got the kids to, and I think this is on one of my posts um, somewhere, I've got a picture of the actual poster that I, um, I sat down with the kids. And I'm, I think this must have been at least three or four years ago that I did this. I had a big sheet of cardboard from the news agent that I just ruled up into those four columns. So fuel with protein foods, sorry, fuel, fuel with carbs, build with protein, colour yep. with our fruit and veggies and protect with healthy fats. And I got the kids to list all the foods that they recognised that they liked to eat that fell under those categories. And then they drew fun little pictures beside them of each of those foods. And then we stuck that up um, in our kitchen. So that helped them to learn. And these were their choices. It wasn't mum and it wasn't the dietitian saying this is what you have to have. It's then when you get those questions around, well, I just want to have toast for breakfast. It's like, okay, that's fine. But what are we going to do to make sure we yeah. build that out into something I really nutritious? Yeah. yeah. And often... A strategy would be levelling up by one as yep. a starting point. So if they want toast, could it be that you just have a glass of milk with yep. it? Yeah. Um, and then over time it might be that you evolve to being able to add in all those components. But certainly it's those baby steps, you know, building tiny habits um, to gradually um, build something significant in the long run. How – apart from in our own households mm. and trying to employ those kind of strategies with our kids and friends and families and stuff like that, 
How do you think we can do it generally across the board from like primary school age? What can schools implement potentially? Because um, I look at this like very similar to like teaching kids how to run properly. Like running is a skill that we all do and we it's a developmental pathway that this is how we grow and develop. We learn to run. doesn't mean we learn how to run well. And I kind of, in my head, I kind of think about nutrition being the same way. We all eat, but how do we learn how to eat better from an early age so that we don't have issues, let's say, down 10 years time when we're trying to, you know, be a highly active kid? How can we take that to a nutrition standpoint? Yeah, look, I'm going to say from a, okay, it's coming from a mum, a parent's perspective, as well as then from a dietitian. I think it all starts and responsibility lies with parents like it's our responsibility to make sure that we provide a range of different nutritious foods for our kids to choose from um, and then the kids are responsible for choosing exactly what they're going to put into their mouths and how much they're going to eat of that and I think to ask schools to take full responsibility of of education around food they've got so much going on like we can't like handball that to them where I think it can come in is the canteen situation. And I know yep. various states around Australia are doing fantastic things in terms of healthy school canteens. I think that's a situation where schools can reinforce the messaging. And then obviously there are certain time points in the curriculum where where, where they do incorporate nutrition into there. And it would just be really keeping those simple, clear messages that then just back up what hopefully parents are teaching in the household. And, yep. and you know, again, it's, it's our responsibility as parents to ensure our kids have a wide variety of different... Yep. Nutritious food to choose from. We, we can't <laughs> force them to eat yeah. it. Yeah. Henry will not <laughs> eat many vegetables. <laughs> I, I th- I'm I similar in Henry that not in the way that I don't eat vegetables. I probably eat more vegetables than most, but I eat the same thing every week. Yeah. Lots of other people do that. How does that change potentially our relationship with food over time or does it? Yeah, look, your taste buds do change over time. And so I remember when I was a kid, I hated mushroom, tomato and avocado. I don't know at what time point, but yeah, I now yeah. absolutely yep. love them all. And I think for things with food, and I do this all the time with um, um, my athletes um, and say the younger, like the older teenagers or the younger ones in their early 20s is – your taste buds do change. Your new taste buds that grow up, like our taste buds change over every 10 or so days. Okay. And the new taste buds that pop up will then get exposed to whatever foods we're eating and that's what they're going to consider as tasting normal. Yep. So if you just continually expose your taste buds to new tastes and flavours, potentially you'll start to get more used to them and they'll be accepted as being quite normal and then yep. eventually you might decide that you like them. And I say that this is often the case with veggies. So if we think from a historical perspective, veggies actually taste bitter. So it's... Yep. Very normal for toddlers and young kids to not like vegetables. They taste bitter, and this is for a reason. They taste bitter. Plants developed these chemical compounds so they wouldn't be eaten. So dinosaurs and cows wouldn't eat them. So we pick those up as kids on our taste buds as bitter. Bitter in our brain from caveman times means poison, so don't eat. But again, if we have in our mind that our taste buds change every 10 or so days, if we just keep exposing our taste buds to these and just encourage tastings you don't have to eat it all but please just taste it then eventually over time you can broaden that range of different options now i'm still waiting for that to happen with henry (laughs) (laughs) he's very pristine and precise with what he does um but again (laughs) even then it's trying not to create the fuss over it trying not to create a state of anxiety at the dinner table it's just you know in in our family it's very much the expectation is that you'll always just try and taste new things um you don't have to eat them but we appreciate that you at least try them before you dish them how, how do you take into account, like, food intelligence as well? Because, again, as you spoke about before, it's probably becoming more of an issue now that we're not exposing ourselves to so many different things and, you know, gluten intolerance and things like celiacs. Um, how, how do you take that into account when we're going through, like, our, your four foundational concepts? Yeah, so I think that's why it's really important that you just don't go willy-nilly about cutting major food groups out of your diet yeah. because we know that that can have flow-on effects in terms of the broad range of nutrients that your body Um, is exposed to including your gut microbiome. So I think if you are thinking that you've got some sort of intolerance or allergy happening, it is important that you get a proper diagnosis and proper guidance from someone who is specialised in that field. Now, even as a dietitian, my specialty is sports dietetics. There are dietitians that are awesomely trained and they specialise into gut intolerances, food allergies and all those sorts of things. So it's really seeking out that professional help and making sure that you're just not doing this blindly and just wanting to cut out gluten because you think it's healthy or it's the in thing to do um yeah and then once you've actually 
um, figured out exactly what it is that might be triggering your, your situation, it's then making sure you can eat the widest variety of foods around that while whether it, you need to completely exclude that or eat small amounts up to a threshold point. Yep. Cool. Now, we have about 10 or so minutes left. You're nearly off the hook. Don't worry. Talk to me about Fuel School. So what is what is Fuel School for people that haven't seen or potentially don't follow you uh, yet because yeah. they will after this? What is the new kind of business venture you're going yeah. to Yeah. Um, thanks for asking. <laughs> Fuel <laughs> School is a performance nutrition hub online. So I guess where Fuel School has come – so it launches October 17. Yeah, it does. I have drawn the line in the sand. <laughs> it's happening and Finally. launching <laughs> in the AFL off-season. I actually have a slight amount of time up my sleeve as of next week. Um, so, look, over my career, and if we take even the AFL draft system, each year I have a new cohort, a brand new um, awesome um, footy players that come in and sit in front of me. And typically, they're now in the AFL environment. And it's the very first time they've ever had a discussion with a, a dietitian before around their nutrition. Mm-hmm. And they're already at the elite level being thrown into incredibly um, incredible you know, training sessions in terms of intensity and duration, all of that. So in terms of what their body is set to go through, you know, they've got very little nutrition knowledge in how to support their body, to fuel their body, look after their body, yet their training loads just you know, yep. go off the Richter scale. So what I'm trying to do is make performance nutrition readily accessible for the average Aussie family. Um, so I'm creating a performance nutrition program called Fuel School. So it will be six modules um, of the basic foundations of sports nutrition knowledge. Um, and I'm presenting those. So it's as if you were coming to see me in six consultations one-on-one, but in a much more cost-effective manner. And then also from that, there'll be a membership platform after that. Yep. So pretty much you'll learn the knowledge and then I'll hold your hand to implement the knowledge afterwards if you so choose. Yep. I'm pretty passionate about it because you know, I've got so much knowledge and experience and I want to be able to give back and I just can't help the number of Aussie families that I know need the help. Yep. Um, and so I just feel that this is the way that I can utilise my expertise and, and give back. What's what's not maybe not your end goal, but like progressively, we obviously you want to see change and things like that. But what does what does change look like? Confidence around food. Yeah, you know, I think people are so scared and unsure and confused about how to do something as simple as put food into our mouths, yeah. and it's really sad that it creates that much anxiety for so many people. And the fact that so many people exclude significant components of food groups based out of fear, um, yeah, it's really concerning. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think if we can approach that at a young age, and I see this happen all the time when I work with development athletes versus to an athlete who I meet for the first time when they're already operating at the elite, elite level and at the later stages of their career – if I can teach them the fundamentals from an early age and can teach them you know, the importance of mirroring their intake to their training load, that it's it's not normal to not have a period, um, that, yeah. Yeah, that ongoing persistent injuries and niggles and getting sick all the time, like that's all not normal and that's all a sign that you're underfueling. You know, I've had um, you know, lovely situations where I've been working with an athlete and she calls me and says, my period didn't come this month. And so straight away we were able to act on it and immediately rectify the situation. That's because she knew and she had that education that it's not okay, it's not normal to not have your period. And then it's just learning, well, crap, I didn't realise because I did that particular training camp and that was at altitude or I did this one here and that meant I was just expending a lot more energy than what I actually thought that I was. Um, It's pretty powerful that if you can make that behaviour change and the connections at an early age, they can then take that through their career. And I just think how many illnesses how many injuries could we have prevented yeah. like an un, it's not just about having an underfueled body it's having an underfueled brain yeah, and yeah. we see yep. so many brain farts happen like on a performance track on the footy field on the slopes yep that result in injury and, yep. and i think the big thing and and when i like going back to our conversation around finding the hook or the lure for athletes the one that i found most pertinent for most athletes is time off training because yep. if you're not training you can't adapt and improve on your performance and you can't be eyes in front of the coaches or yep. the, yeah, in front of the coach's eyes. So The best yeah, quality is availability. Yeah. So I, I really liken um, 
you know, I've got lots of analogies to talk to athletes around fueling, but like your body, if you're not fueling it enough, it will start to shut down a lot of the background apps that it, it you know, it's, it's in survival mode. Yep. So like a mobile phone, when your mobile phone goes into power saver mode, it will shut down background apps that yep. aren't essential for it to function so that you can make that all important SOS emergency call. Your body does exactly the same thing. So it will start to shut down background processes that, that aren't essential for your survival. And so like, it's important that your brain keeps um, thinking and your heart keeps beating, your lungs keep working. But it's not so important to have a awesome immune function, like immune system going. And it's you know recovery then starts to get affected. We start to see hormone production being affected as well. And so that's when we start to see sickness, illness, injury, loss of periods, yep. drops in testosterone, kind of important in yep, in sporting context yep. and building muscle. So that all paints the pitch, and you kind of all you have to do is say drops in testosterone in front of a group of AFL yeah. boys. <laughs> yeah, you've got them. Or I wonder why you've been getting all these niggling injuries. Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah, and I think it's still such a huge blind spot just for everyone that life is never as black and white as we want it to be. As much as we want it really simple, there is so many things that make up the way we behave, not just from like an outcome point of view, but how our body processes the inputs that you give it that, yes, under eating can give you niggles and injuries. And a lot of people still don't make that bridging connection. And I think that's... What I'm really excited about for Fuel School is that to try and make that different and change behavior from a way that, hey, this all does make a huge difference and now you know why. Yep. Um, And I think from like an athlete point of view and working with so many athletes, like it doesn't matter how hard you train or how well you sleep. If you don't eat well or if you don't recover well or anything that you want, it all comes full circle and it's all part of the big picture. It's not just X equals or X and Y equals Z. Like it's... They're all coming yep. together and sometimes you're going to have a H in there or sometimes you're going to have a B in there and yep. that all makes up your ability to perform. It's not just what you do from like a sports-specific point of view. Yeah. yeah. And I think I often say to athletes is your body's pretty good at being able to handle like the training that you throw at it provided yep. you respect it and, and fuel it appropriately. Um, it's just not going to like it when you're not putting enough petrol in the tank. And yep. I think the, the other aspect as well is so many athletes I find – um, deliberately underfuel for fear around body composition issues. And I just want to take their hands, give them a big hug as well, and actually, and this is where I just walk them through the process of helping them to understand that, well, what you're currently doing in underfueling is actually making the situation 10 times harder for you. And I have had athlete after athlete after athlete approach me where they've been in situations where their body composition hasn't been ideal for either a coach's perception, their own perception, yep. Or potentially, yeah, they may be legitimately carrying a bit of extra for what their sport, you know, from a health perspective and longevity perspective. But by restricting their intake and under-fueling, their metabolic rate drops, um, they become fat-storing machines, and then it just exacerbates the situation. And if we take the focus off the weight and actually make the process the goal, the behaviours, the strategies that you teach them around mirroring intake to training load, um, eating more when you're training more, you know, working around things like understanding building foods, fueling foods, colour, how you implement all of that. What you actually see happen is that with all that focus on just looking after your body, respecting your body, fueling it as it needs, their body composition actually comes beautifully into line yep. without any stress around yep. measuring skin folds, managing skin folds, what my body fat levels yep. are doing. It's actually I'm nourishing, nurturing my body Heck, I'm training awesome as well. I'm yeah. not getting these niggles. I'm not getting sick, which means I can have continuity in my training as well. And you just you know, develop a weapon of an athlete yeah. that is also, oh, look, body comps kind of fix itself yeah. in the Surprise. process as well without yeah. having to actually focus on it at all and creating a huge big issue out of it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. With with fuel school, and I don't want you to divulge too many secrets. But what what do some of the modules include? Just a couple. Don't don't go full into it because I know you want to. But what are some just little little snippets? Well, I guess you can probably pick that the most significant and first module a cab off the rank is fueling your goals around yep. um, understanding what it takes to fuel your body properly and recognizing the signs of underfueling. Yep. That then stems into the foundations of really exploring you know, fueling foods, building foods, color foods, and protecting yep. foods, and then how you actually. Pl- practically take that into fueling your body on a day-to-day basis, really focusing in then on building your day out in terms of general breakfast, lunches and dinners, but then how do we fuel effectively in terms of pre-during and post-training, competition, tournaments, hydration, 
um, and so forth. So that kind of, like, again, if you came and saw me five or six times as an individual athlete, yep. you can this expect... This the process. Yep. 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 So it really is all the key strategies, behaviours and foundations that I teach the elite athletes that I work with. You, you're privy to exactly the same information, um, obviously tailored um, you know, to more of an age group that, you know, as I said, I'm really, really passionate in this development um, youth athlete emerging and, and the multi-sport yep. um, active adolescent. Yeah. Speaking of that, what's your week look like? <laughs> what does my week yeah. look like? <laughs> Speaking of multi-sport kids. Yeah. So, yeah, lots and lots of different sport. Um, so I've got three kids, as said, who are all doing lots of different things. So my eldest, April, comes here to train with you. Yes. Um, so she's doing strength training. It's a love-hate relationship she has with me, though. <laughs> um, athletics, she has athletics and running and um, life-saving and, oh gosh, I'm just trying to think what else she's up to <laughs> these days. Henry is like our swimmer and he loves his nippers life-saving and yeah, He's the early morning basketball. <laughs> he loves it, yeah. though. Um, and then Audie, like, is just um, the, the sunshine and lollipops kid who just loves dabbling in a lot of everything. So, yep. again, nippers and swimming and basketball and she does singing and drama and yep. Broadway and she loves hanging here and building cubbies. At yeah, <laughs> cubby hut. That's a thing. We should trademark that. Was, we we built some pretty impressive cubbies. Yep. Jazz in particular. Jazz's look a little bit better than mine though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that's one of the great things about Fertis as well is the fact that the kids can actually say mum train. Um, yeah, they can and do it with you. Let's go for it. Yeah, and Audie can see Big Sister train, yep. and it kind of just is super normal. So, we're, oh, that's so normal to be training your body and to be throwing weights around a gym. So yep. then, hopefully, the girls will develop into adults that think that that's completely normal, yep. everyday part of life. Yeah, outstanding. Anything else you want to talk about? I got a few little questions to end, but like little short, sharp questions. Mate, I could talk. You've got me on the soapbox around nutrition. I can talk for as long as you need me to. All right. I have a few questions from the gallery that are, that are stored up here. Uh, peanut butter, are you a fan? Yes, absolutely. Crunchy all the way. Oh, that was good to be our next one. I, okay. oh, uh, peanut butter and apple, if you haven't tried it. That's what, okay. So this question came from Tess Rowley, and she's obsessed with peanut butter and, and apples. And yep. I wasn't a kid who ever really had peanut butter or like Nutella or any of those kind of spreads. So the peanut butter is sneaking into our smoothie club. They're, they're becoming more regular. But uh, it was a country or a smooth, but then what's your favourite addition to peanut butter? Apple. Apple, yeah. I do like just peanut butter on toast, though. It's yep. awesome. And that's a great snack as well. Yep. So if I'm, like, doing a smoothie, I'll often do a smoothie with a slice of whole grain toast and peanut butter. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, ben Racingberger, so one of our clients here, had a question on brekkie burgers, which you're not going to answer. I'm going to answer for him because he's obsessed with brekkie burgers. Brekkie burgers In being? particular, common folks brekkie burger. So right. Ben has a... An oddly weird obsession with brekkie burgers. He would like to know how many is too many. And Ben, I'm going to say you need one every day for your mental health. That's all I'm going to say. So, so I have no idea what the common folk <laughs> yeah. brekkie burger looks like. But what I can say is that I do serve um, bacon egg rolls up um, at North. Yep. Um, and we often have them as kind of a weekend, I would say almost lunch probably yep. more so. But whole grain roll avo. Yep. So auto- automatically we've got our fueling carbs. Yep. We've got our healthy fats protecting our bodies. Then we do use egg and bacon, yep. all right, and then spinach and tomato in there. Perfect. All right, so we're hitting all those four key points, colour and then building with protein. Yeah, that, Ben. Add your avocado because none of that avocado all the time. Uh, another question from not one of our clients but someone uh, in the community. Uh, exercise, weight loss, nutrition with menopause. Mm. How does that – what are you kind of taking into account that you may not necessarily – in other situations. There's some great information coming through. And again, like we've got dietitians now that are specialising in this field. And yep. I've got an awesome colleague and friend, Angelique Clark, yep. who um, is a accredited sports dietitian as well, advanced sports dietitian. She's really focusing in on this area. Um, and there's, there's so much to explore. I mean, this is the area where I am. Um, yep. My kids are getting older and, and yep. I'm getting older as well. It's really interesting. I think one of the big things is lift. Yep. Like we women need to be lifting yep. um, and that's probably one of the key things. And I I really only took on board strength training. Like I'm coming through and showing my age in terms of generations here, but it was always just cardio. Like I, yep. I, I was, I've always been a long distance runner and I only, I've kind of always done pump, but you know, 
started properly We all know lifting. what you mean. Don't worry. That's really, just we all know what it means. Lifting proper weights um, after Henry was born 2010. So, you know, I guess now 12 or so years that yep. I've actually been what I would consider strength training. And it's just, you know, awesome. Yep. Awesome in so many ways. Really cool. <laughs> Getting there. Getting there, you can't. You're there. I have videos to prove it. Haven't hit my goal yet. Yeah, you keep moving the goalposts. That's why. No, no, no. Goal's fine. <laughs> Process is the goal. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> um, I had one more question, and I can't remember what it was now. So that's going to annoy me. Oh, that's going to annoy me now. No, I don't have another question. Guess what, Al? What? We're done. Aww. How'd you find it? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for having. Well, thank you for showing the interest in nutrition, and oh. thank you for seeking. Reputable advice for that. Because well, when I asked you to do it, you replied in, I think, 90 seconds, said, like yeah, sign me yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. that we can already talk underwater, but this is a nice little modality that some people can learn off some of the cool things you're doing. And then also with the field school and stuff coming off of a way that they can start to implement some of this stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, no. I'm, And if you're ever in training at the same time as me, <laughs> always ask me any questions. <laughs> Sometimes you drift off to the fairies, but that's that's you're allowed to. This is your space. No, I'm in the zone. That's mate. my. That's that's the fairies. The zone is the fairies. It's the hey, I, the I don't have to work playing anymore. In the background, in I my don't mind. have to work anymore. Or in your case today, I don't have to go and do three other jobs in this meeting and X this and drive there. Well, at least just for that hour. This is Ali's space. We're yeah. working on ourselves. And you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, training and exercise to me is mental health. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, mm. it's a it's a space that you can come and work on you. And for everyone who has, you know, demanding jobs or multiple contracts or three kids, you name it, everything that you do, like we all need something that allows us to be who we want to be or also give us a space to do something for ourselves, mm. which is what you do well. So mm. good job you. Thanks, too. Guess what? We're done. Thanks, Mitch. And as on Lucy's note, as everyone's starting to like or enjoy, I need to find the right button. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>